I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is the Journey to Transformation. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. All right. I need you to buckle the fuck up. Oh, no. I'm about to give you some praise. Oh, my gosh. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm proud of you. Oh, thanks. You don't want to know why. Yeah, why? I'm proud of you because a couple of episodes ago, it's like three weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago or something like that, I said, we're going to do a marathon. And you were really worried about it. And you were like, oh, I don't know. And so I just signed you up for it. But you just have accepted it. And then you signed us up for a half marathon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then you ran seven kilometers for no reason the other day. Yeah, it just happened. I'm just really proud of you. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. I suppose it's like determination. Like once I get into a mindset of like, I need to do this, I'm determined to do this, then I will do it. But it's like getting and crossing into that threshold of determination. I do actually remember at my parents' house, you know, when people have like a description of your name, like yeah. who is a Lauren? <laughs> It's got like a, this name is derived from a laurel wreath. And underneath it, it was like dogged determination. (laughs) (laughs) And I've always been like, all right, then I'll adopt that. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I don't even know if it's true for all Laurens, but you know. Okay. (laughs) So I was proud of myself for running 7K yesterday. Along the canal. It was really nice. Yeah. We're just, uh, you know, on our way to marathon land. Yeah. That's wild. Anyways, I wanted to tell you that I was proud of you. Okay. Thank you very much for the praise. You don't have any praise for me? Yeah, should I reciprocate? That's the only reason why I praised you. (laughs) Ooh, is there some self? (laughs) It's perfect we're getting on to the topic here. (laughs) No, I don't need any praise. Um, I praise myself constantly. Mm. (laughs) What are we talking about today? We're talking about the hero complex. Right. And some crossovers with the savior complex. Yes. Right. Keen to know the difference between these two things. Sure. You know, when I think of a hero, the first thing that comes to my head, and I shouldn't say hero, hero or heroine, the first thing that comes into my head is Hercules from Disney. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? Not necessarily okay. terrible, but it's like, I've got a clear association of like a kid, what a hero was like. Okay. <laughs> and it's Hercules. <laughs> You know, oh, interesting. Yeah, you don't think any like modern superhero? No, no. Uh, no. Okay, and, and I think you don't is- think firefighters or NHS workers? <laughs> they're the real heroes, Lauren. <laughs> I mean, obviously, <laughs> there is like a you know what a what a hero is in twenty twenty three, but like it's like a visual image. It's sure. like what's a hero? The first thing I think of is like Hercules, okay, and the Disney version of it. I, I think there's some sort of you know childhood thing there about how Disney shaped my yeah. Her associations with heroes and heroines. Sure. I was really keen to talk about this because I think it's something that comes up a lot in our space. Is it that we feel we have these feelings, we have these needs and desires to help people that draws us to the not-for-profit space? Or is it that that space creates in us these feelings. Oh, that's interesting. You've mentioned that the hero complex is like a psychological disorder. It's not officially in like the DSM. It's not like like the the DSM. It's the diagnostic manual of like disorders and like okay. (laughs) I mean, because the reason I ask is like when you frame it like that, it's like a it's a a mental health issue, I guess. Yeah. To some extent. But there is some argument that it should be in there. Associated things are in there, for example, like narcissism Okay. Those things are in there, but I don't think this is in there. Okay. Okay. That's but some people think it should be. Yeah. Cause <laughs> I think that's like, you know, is it like 
a mental health trait or disorder like that or is it just a personality thing and as yeah. you say like we because we are these kinds of people are all in the humanitarian sector or we become those kinds of people because we want to help other people you know yeah. do i think that our personalities are disordered in this sector yes <laughs> so yeah you smash, you smash. <laughs> okay should we check and see if you've got some of these things yeah. And can I just like caveat that I'm pretty sure I have the hero. I know I'm a hundred percent sure I have this hero complex. Yes. Okay. Well, let's see. So the first one <laughs> is uh, whether you are suffering from hero, hero complex or hero syndrome. Ready? Yeah. <laughs> are you high achieving? Uh, yes. Okay. Do you adhere to unrealistically high standards for yourself? Yes. Oh my God. I don't know the answer to this. <laughs> Can't or won't acknowledge a need for rest and breaks? Yes, obviously. <laughs> Are you a workaholic? <laughs> yes. Do you believe you must be on all the time? Yes. Do you do whatever it takes to provide for and take care of everyone you feel responsible for? <laughs> I try. <laughs> do you measure your self-worth in terms of productivity? Definitely. Do you believe you can be superhuman? Others might not be able to handle it, but you can or you must. I, that's, can I, this one I find a bit more, I don't know. I gotta pause this music is. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> am I allowed to, to debate this question? Yeah. Um, because I would never think of myself as superhuman. Like, I don't think I'm above or beyond. You know, when I think of a superhuman, I think of someone who is like, so good at everything, like amazing, mm. doing everything. Okay. So I wouldn't say I was a superhuman, but like, I do have a problem of needing to think that I, I should do this or I can do this. Okay. So you would say you have an unhealthy sense of responsibility? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, I want to just like caveat a little bit that like, you know, when you go from being a person in a company to owning your own company, there is some kind of transition there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on to the next one. <laughs> These are signs you have a savior complex. Yes, I, yes, I thought we were going there. All right. You have a strong desire to help people. Yes, obviously. <laughs> Your self-worth depends on being needed. <laughs> yes, obviously. <laughs> you believe your way is the best way. Uh, not always, but there is like, a, it goes back to having high standards for myself, mm. meaning that those standards are like set a, a mark and an expectation. Okay. I mean- do you want to say probably, yeah. Also, this business is about us telling people what to do because we think our approach is better. So you make yeah. a lot of your money telling people that you're always the best. Way. Yeah, that's true. That is true. If I, if I concurred to everyone else's, I, we wouldn't think so. There you go. You want power at all costs. No, I don't. But I have a problem with letting go of like, well, yeah, okay. certain things. You are attracted to weakness and vulnerability. Oh gosh, no, but like, I don't know what that means. Oh, is this like a helping other people thing versus like a... I mean, a lot of your stuff is about conflict affected countries. So right, right. <laughs> I would say your thematic focus and expertise is about weakness and vulnerability. Yes, sorry. I wasn't sure how you were framing that in the context yeah. of like people this, in my life. This is about relationships. Like I've just flipped it to be about the sector. Right. Yes. So yes, obviously. Well, in a, yeah. Okay. I mean, I would say that all humanitarians are attracted to weakness and vulnerability. Gosh, when you frame it like that, that's interesting, isn't it? You always have a solution. No. No, you don't. It's very annoying. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> you want to change the sector. 
Yes, there we yeah. go. Okay. So, what we've wanted to change the sector for like 30 odd years. Yeah. So I'm pretty confident you have both of these things. Yeah, I'm not surprised in the least. <laughs> but what I think is really interesting is the conflict affected context in the framing of wanting to help them. Yeah. Okay. But like I also them. think- Them. Interesting. Yeah, horrible. Sorry. Ooh. Helping other people. Yeah. Why savior alert. Gross. Um, <laughs> but I do think there's something there about like the wanting to- deal with extremities extremities like arms and legs oh. <laughs> like wanting to deal with like the that's another word for oh, extremities right. your uh, extremities or your I arms didn't and legs know that. <laughs> um yeah dealing with those two um like dealing with the extreme you know you as a humanitarian you become kind of like or at least i'll speak for myself i shouldn't speak for the whole sector you know i became quite like motivated and addicted to to being in extreme environments and pushing myself to the limit and that happens to be in conflict affected contexts where like pushing yourself to the limits on like highly controlled highly controlled compounds with like maids and cooks and stuff yes (laughs) white people are so fun (laughs) (laughs) what is a savior or superhero complex because there's some overlapping ones so a loose description of a savior complex is a psychological construct involving a deep-seated need or desire to help or save others, often to the detriment of one's own needs. It is commonly tied to issues of self-esteem, altruism, and codependency, which I think is probably about right for this whole last sector. Yeah, definitely. How do you know when it's like true altruism and that's just kind of like, you know, you want to help people versus like all these other things that start to come into it? I feel like people go into it in this space to like wanting to do good. Like I work in the not-for-profit sector because I want to do good things in the world. Yeah. But then where does the ego come into that, right? My ego is all over the place. I love the feeling of doing good things. Yes. It's feeding yourself, right? It's like almost self-serving. Of course it is. Because you're like, this is um, myself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, but you help, but you're only getting satisfaction from, you're getting personal satisfaction from helping other people. Sure. I don't think there's anything wrong with being self-serving if your self-serving is for other people. Like (laughs) surely that's the best way to be. I gain satisfaction from knowing that I've done something useful for others. Surely that's better than like me gratifying myself for my own gratification. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. But then where does, where does like this issue of like, I need to be validated and I need to be recognized come into it? Is that where the ego then becomes more dominant? Okay. Yes, you're there to help people and it is self-serving, but the moment that it's self serving to the point in which you need to be recognized for it and validated for it. And then that's the only way you get satisfaction from it. Then doesn't that take away a little bit from the the altruism side. But what fucking person who works in the not-for-profit space is getting validation from their work? (laughs) Show me that person who is getting like constantly (laughs) rewarded and validated in their work who does like the type of shit that we do. (laughs) Never. Yeah, fair. (laughs) But then maybe that's where the burnout comes from almost. Or like the, you know, I've been working really hard in this for three or four years and I'm dead now, moving on. Yeah. Okay. I still maintain like, is there, is there an issue? with that. If my ego is fueled 
by external validation. But what I want to do is to help other people. Isn't that a good thing? Because you're constantly then striving for more and more validation and recognition, which requires you to do bigger and bigger and bigger things. And if that is an aid of other people, who gives a shit if your ego's in there? Yeah, I get that. But then maybe the problem might arise if you're selective about what you do, because certain things will get you bigger validation than others. So maybe it depends on like how then if you act in in a way that's like, I need this to be better recognized. Therefore, I'm going to do this over something else. Potentially. Okay. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Moving on. The next one is the superhero complex, which is a related concept. They're not the same thing. They're not this. Well, some people say they're the same. Some people say they're different. Okay. That's why I'm going with this as a related concept. And it is characterized by the belief that one can do it all without assistance, often leading to burnout, which you were talking about before. So this is the like, I'm a high achiever. I have high standards for myself. I'm the one who can do it. I can do it better than other people. Yes. Yes, I understand. When I think about the hero complex, maybe it's more of the Hercules in the mind versus the savior complex, which feels like a little bit darker Mm. because the savior complex is characterized by these feelings of needing to have power versus the feeling of like others are powerless. I have the power, so I must use it for these things. Oh, wait, is that a distinction? Because that feels easier to understand kind of the power and where that sits in that. That's how I think about it. When we think about the superhero complex or when I think about the superhero complex and how it's been described, it's like other people can't do it. Therefore, I must versus I want the power to do it because my way is better. So like when we think about white saviorism, for example, there's also this kind of thing that comes along with it, which is around the superiority of race. Yes. So like I think about save the savior complex as being a little darker. Yeah, that is dark. If that makes sense. You're essentially just eradicating the idea that anybody else can do it. That's quite dangerous. But I think for different reasons, if you have like the hero complex, it's not that you think that other people are weak. It's just your strength is so annoying enormous inherently. (laughs) I mean, the white savior one is massive and has a lot of traction right now, at least a lot of discussion in the sector about how that's manifesting. Well, this whole sector has kind of been built off of decades of white saviorism, which is related to like colonial mentalities and stuff and like civilizing the savages, right? Yeah, driven by like Western diners implementing, having the power and so on and so on. I would say driven by racism, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) hugely, absolutely. So should we talk about some of the psychological thingies behind the savior complex? Yes. Okay. So low self-esteem may lead individuals to seek validation through helping others. So a little bit what you were talking about before. I mean, it just kind of goes back to like, you you want to help people. You want that to make you feel good. Like, and there's like this, oh, people need me. Therefore, you know, my work is needed. I'm validated by that. It's almost like a, a loop, a cycle that you get stuck in. It's like you need validation and people need you. Therefore, you want to help them and you know you just kind of keep going in this cycle and I suppose the question is like when you step out of any of these or or how even you step out of any of these what do you call them disorders complexes whatever they are (laughs) Um, whenever psychological (laughs) contracts whenever you how you step out of these things and what all of that looks like outside of it how do you be in the sector without feeling that people need you or how do you be in the sector without feeling that help is something there that you have to give what people need from you I just don't know what that other side looks like I mean, this is what we're telling people to do all the time is like step out, right? Like everybody yeah. feels like they are the, you know, like 
I alone can solve this problem. And this is a challenge I think that we all wrestle with is what alone is mine, right? Like what is the thing that only I can solve? And I think that's a really hard thing because in this space, we're all used to fucking running around ragged, doing a bunch of things because there's so many things to be done because, you know, complex social dynamics. I do think that there is a point at which we need to recognize that helping other people could also look like other things, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's such a hard kind of realization in this sector, especially to know that like someone could turn around and say, oh, we don't need you, especially because in a lot of cases it requires you to travel to certain places or like feel other egotistical needs that you want or satisfactions from what you do in this space. Like you want to travel, you want to see places, you want to experience things that are different. If you didn't want those things, you might get a nine to five job in an office. I'm kind of sticky about myself, I suppose. You have a nine to five job. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's a, also a piece of like, okay, you don't need me. I'm not needed here. So then where am I needed? Or what does that look like? I guess I have questions about whether or not we need to feel needed. Why do we need that? Some of where this also comes out is in like, you know, we've seen this before when our clients are a bit protectionist about their shit, where they don't want us meddling around in their things because it is so much attached to their self-worth. And they're so proud of this thing that they've done, or they're so proud of this project, which they rightly should be. But then the second you say, well, actually we talked to a few people or we've got a couple of surveys back now and it's actually not, the context is a little bit more complicated than you're presenting. They get this sort of like defensiveness and protectionist over their things because because what they do, their whole work is, you know, this good altruistic work, but it's so closely anchored to their self-esteem that the second you start scratching away at it, they start to unravel. Yeah. Which we've seen a few times. I mean, how, how much is that also like you're in one of these saviors, you're in a savior complex, you're a hero and someone's like, oh, this isn't working or this has never worked. Yeah. <laughs> and that almost is like, it's almost like a total mind shift. Yeah. What do you mean? I'm the one you needed for this. Yeah. Like, so that I feel like that if you're in that headspace is a real hard confrontation. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the Incredibles when like all the superheroes are like thinking that they're saving the town, but actually they're just destroying everything. So like people are having like suing the superheroes because they're yeah. getting their backs broken while yeah. they're like rescuing derailed trains and shit. <laughs> like they're actually causing more carnage than they realize. And it's that kind of recognition of like, oh, actually I I thought I was being helpful and my whole identity is wrapped up in helping others, but I'm actually making things worse for people. That's a really good way to look at it. Yeah. Because we are actually making things worse for people. <laughs> There's some dark things about this codependency thing mm-hmm. with Let's Savior Complex. Sorry. What are you codependent on? Are you codependent on that need cycle or are you codependent on the people around you or what's the dependency? We create dependencies within communities. So they become dependent on us. Right. Okay. So, so it's, it's less about your dependency and the dependency you create in that space. But also the other way around too, right? Because I need a community to work in. So the donors gives me the monies. Mm -hmm. It is a codependent relationship. We reinforce dependency by saying, we're going to do this we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're not going to build skills. We're just going to give you shit. And we need you to let us do our programming here or else we've got no programming to do. I think it's problematic when we look at programs that just give people stuff 
versus supporting and, and, and strengthening skills that already exist. So I think about things like community resilience programs or like community led development. That's the stuff that is like trying to break those dependency relationships, recognizing that that's a really hard thing to do because we're in this shit. Shit is fucked up. Yeah. There's a lot of work to be done, but yeah. I don't think it's a great idea when we're just doing things like capacity replacement. So like I'm bringing somebody in to like do this thing for you and then I'm going to leave mm-hmm. because then what it means is I alone can solve this problem, which is that's, that's this reinforcing dependency. And these are the shades of savior complex. These are the shades of that. And that dependency reinforced by whose expertise and knowledge is coming in. Right. Sure. Which we've talked about quite often on this this podcast. Yep. No, and I think that's a scary place. And I think a lot of people over the years have rightly questioned, you know, even though knowledge, skills, this kind of programming you're talking about has been going on for a really long time. And yet that dependency is still there, or at least millions and billions of pounds have gone into countries like Pakistan or the Democratic Republic of Congo, to what end? You know, the the non-governmental organizations are still there. They're still programming. That codependency is just seems to be never ending, really. Yeah. But well, it's because we're doing our programming to create dependencies, right? Mm. Like we always have said, like the, the ambition is to work yourself out of a job. We've always said not just you and I, but in the sector, we've always said like, oh, that's the, the the goal is to not be needed. But we don't actually do anything to get to that point, right? We don't do anything to make it so we're no longer needed. We're reinforcing things. We're getting a little bit closer to that with this conversation around localization. But the fact that we don't know how to do that is an indication that it will be decades and decades, if not generations on generations before we even get there. But I suppose there's also a bit of a nuance in that like, I tend to have this assumption and bias that when we're talking about that, we're talking about the white saviors and the Western humanitarian workers who were there. When actually in a lot of programs and clients we've worked with over the past couple of years, it's staff from that country who are the humanitarians at the forefront of that work. Power, the decision-making power is often still held in, in places like London or New York. Yeah, yeah. because we want somebody to do it for cheap because we can't afford to keep sending people overseas and putting them, you know, when was the last time somebody sent you to Afghanistan (laughs) go live on a compound and get you made and get you cooked? We can't afford to do those things anymore because economic crisis and a recognition that it's more expensive. Ship white people all over the place. We can just have you sit at a desk and tell brown people what to do, right? Like that's... Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, I know, I know that like there are lots of humanitarians still going into countries, especially in like Ukraine and stuff. I, d- I don't think we've necessarily gotten to the heart of like what's wrong with it. Well, it reinforces stereotypes, doesn't it? Sure. Like, you know, that kind of, we've already spoken a bit about it already, but this, you know, we need someone to come in from that particular country or a white person to come in and save us kind of perspective. Yeah. Well, what do you think? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Okay. Fundamentally. I think the problem is superiority because the the thing about our approach is that we don't say we're the ones who have the answers. In fact, what we say is it's not us that has the answers. Mm. Our approach that we believe is best is getting the answers from other people, ideally lesser heard people. So it's not that my opinion and it's not I alone can solve it. It's I know how you can solve it and you can solve it best in this way. So I am centralizing my viewpoint, but my viewpoint is not my own, if that makes sense. So I think that like saying I know how to solve this problem 
I don't actually find that there's an issue with that. I think that there's like, I think what is often a confronting piece is the expectation with the client on that regard. I think what you're saying is it's right. Like we're not the ones that can tell you how to do it, but we can show you how that could be. But sometimes I find clients might expect you to like have the answer to everything. You know, they're paying you as consultant or a company to come in and there's almost like an expectation there of like, so, you know, tell us kind of thing. And I think that sort of comes from this kind of association with consultants having expertise and knowledge and that's what they're paying for. And I think there's perhaps some kind of old tired assumptions in that too. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of taking one step back from that and saying, yes, I do have the answer. The answer is a participatory approach, right? Like the answer is getting it from the right people. That's the answer as opposed to me having the answer to the question. Is the hero complex something that we go into the sector with, or is it that the sector creates that about us. Mm. I think that's really interesting. Okay. You know, I joined the humanitarian sector with that whole, like, I want to help people. <laughs> you know, everyone goes in being like, yes, yes, Mimi, I, I want to help people. Mm. And that's kind of your bottom line. And so I think that that's almost there, like at the beginning, but then the sector itself kind of echoes that back at you. Like it mirrors, you know, you look in a mirror and you go, oh yeah, I fit this, you know, like I am making a difference. Like this is how it's seen how we visually kind of see that in my work and so on. That's because you work in m and and you can, you do data visualizations. <laughs> Portfolio managers see that. I put we don't it see in joy, I, success. We don't see any of that. I put it in a, in a graph. <laughs> it's my different. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just really curious about that. Does the sector create it or do you go in with it? Did my personality disorder begin? <laughs> 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 I think that I started off this way. You know, when your parents say like, eat everything on your plate because there are people starving in China or mm. whatever. It used to be people starving in China. This used to be the line. Oh, I, I think. Did your course. parents ever say something about you? Uh, I think it was Africa. <laughs> <laughs> Debs. <laughs> Cringe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, regardless, there was some far afield place where people were starving and that was the reason you needed to finish all your food. I think it depends on how you react to that statement because my parents used to tell me that and what I used to do is pack up my food and make a bunch of lunches and hand them out to homeless people. Wow, you were really the altruist. Is that a word? You were that person. But is it altruism or is it stubbornness? <laughs> so I just really didn't want to eat that fucking thing. So like, <laughs> this is so funny. Like, so <laughs> so I, I, it is like mm. in the person that you are, when you hear something like that, how does it make you respond? Like for better or for worse. I used to go to different restaurants and I'd get all of the food that was still basically too good to go, oh, nice. which is a great app. Check it out. So I'd get all the food that was about to be thrown away, but was still good enough to eat. And then I would go and drive around fucking downtown LA and like hand them out. I did that in part because I remember my mom telling me one person can't change the world. Fuck you. <laughs> so like, I think if you get that in your head, like if you hear something like that, how you react to it kind of drives you to it. Do I think it's ultimately like me wanting to do good in the world or me being really stubborn and wanting to prove my mother wrong? Like, <laughs> like what is it? Maybe you had, maybe that meant you had good, like, good resilience and good problem solving. Maybe that made you more useful. 
I wasn't useful before. No. no. <laughs> My response would have been to just eat it or cry. <laughs> so that's still your response. Yeah, yeah. eat it or cry. <laughs> do it Maybe, adult. There needs to be some kind of like, are you ready to join the humanitarian sector quiz? And like that yeah. play and like, how do you respond? Well, it's like what they do when, when they're like recruiting it. They just like sit you in a room and put a plate of food in front of you and like watch how you eat it and interact with other people or whatever. Do you salt your food first before tasting it? Oh, you yeah. do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Fail. <laughs> so like, okay. I, so I think it depends on like the type of person that you inherently mm. are. Yeah. Like, that, yeah. What are you, what's your resistance? Like what's your thing? And I think as I got older, my activism became like bigger and more extreme, not extreme, maybe extreme, bigger and bigger and more direct. And then as I got older and older, it started to kind of retract and be a bit more desk-based. I think the not-for-profit space draws in people who want to do good things. I don't think there's really a need to distinguish why they want to do good things because like, who cares what your internal motivation is? Like, does my like inherent need to prove my mother wrong? Does that like mean that all the shit that I've done is meaningless? No. Who cares what my internal motivation is? It is not bad. It's not to hurt someone. It's to get revenge, but it's not to hurt anybody. If my internal motivation isn't malicious, nefarious, abusive, even if it's driven by ego, who cares? And I think there's an exclusivity to like people being like, no, we're the humanitarian sector. We're all about doing good. And that's exactly what we want to do. You're all thrill seeking weirdos. Yeah. Right. And I think there's an exclusivity to that kind of like, oh no, you know, we are, that's where the savior complexes come from. Like we're in it, we're blinded and we're like in this exclusive club if you don't want to do good in the same way that I want to do good then you're out the club like there's there's kind of what you're saying I feel like there is a bit of a circle around that the other thing that I think isn't like I've found is that like you're you are or at least me you know you you end up in a space where everyone kind of is thinking like you you're in a state of peers in a very like concentrated place you know and there's like 10 of you are you know, just out of university and you're all like, yeah, we're here to do good or make a difference. And it's so reinforced because you live with that person, you work with that person, you get in a car with that person and you're in that space solidly, you know, you're right. I think you start with wherever you start when you look at that plate of food, but there's like, it can be easily reinforced by the environment. But which part is reinforced? That we're here to do good and people kind of not questioning it. Um, but do you have that by yourself or is it only, is it one person leading this like psychological phenomenon or did you all just get like, you know, when like serial killers find each other, is it like that, (laughs) that like you all accidentally stumbled upon each other or is it that you're, or is it like a cult where you're kind of building it at the same time? (laughs) I don't know. You can choose one or the other cult or serial killers. I think it's serial killers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's an accident that you found. So it exists within you. You all just happen to find each other. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I really do. Because, you know, there are like variants, various like different people doing logistics, health or like wash or like, you know, and we all just happen to find the people. So people, so serial killers with different victim typology. (laughs) Cool. All right. You heard it here first, folks. Humanitarians are serial killers. How do you get out of this? And is there a way to get out of it? And should we get out of it? I have, as we have determined listeners, got this complex or saviorism. Antibiotics. 
<laughs> we'll clear it up in two weeks. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> Who should I call? I mean, is this why we all have therapists? <laughs> like, I I mean, what do, what do we do? I'm just going to play this for my therapist and see if I can get a discount. <laughs> I mean, I guess I maintain that. I don't think that there's anything wrong with it, provided it's not create, it's not causing harm, right? Like I think that the problem of burnout is real. Like if you feel that you are the only one who can solve things and the weight of that is creating anxiety and pressure on you and being, you're being run ragged in different places, then like that's a problem. What other stuff is useful to kind of like get out of these problematic dynamics? I think one is just like looking at underlying motivations. Like why are you doing it? If it is because you're deriving your sense of self from what you're doing from others. I mean, acts of service. That's my love language. <laughs> Don't make that face at me. Mine's quality time. <laughs> I thought yours was... Um, and the other one. Yeah. Affirmations. Bye. <laughs> Affirm me. <laughs> That's all I hear. Affirm me. But, you know, I think like looking at the reasons why you feel like you're the one that needs to step in. And that's not just an individual reflection. Like that's an organizational reflection. Mm -hmm. Like why do, why do our clients feel that they are the ones that have to solve this problem? And I think this is the key to unlocking a lot of the stuff around like integrated programming or nexus programming is recognizing that you don't have to do everything. <laughs> like you yes. don't have to, we don't all have to like exist in this collective burnout because we believe that we're the only ones who can solve this, like the multiplicity of issues that are existing in a single community. Right. Right. We can look at ways to work together and share responsibility and work collectively, collective outcomes, we can work with people and other organizations and communities all together to address some of the challenges and to mitigate against some of the, to like shift the stuff in the backpack over. Definitely. And all of this is so much centered in the values of every organization we've, we've ever worked for or know about in the sector, right? Like these are not things that are just, you know, completely new or whatever. They're centered in the values you have of diversity, inclusivity, going at a slower pace, working with other people, you know, but all of these things just kind of like work against the system yeah. really. And I think setting boundaries is really important. Like a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is applicable to relationships, but mm. we're talking about it because our biggest relationship is with the work that we do because we're bleeding heart, liberal do-gooders. Check out our merch, jrnypodcast.com. We are so connected to our work. We do it we do it for the love, right? So yes. in that space, it's very easy to set unhealthy boundaries. Like you and I are just now getting to a place where we're saying like, okay, we're not going to work 20 hours a day. We're not going to, well, I'm saying that and I'm saying it to you. You don't listen, but we're, I'm getting there. Yeah. You could be better. <laughs> um, but you know, like I used to work for organizations where I'd be the first one in and shortly after I showed up, there'd be like six more people at office would be full by seven 45. Wow. Right. And people would stay till nine o'clock at night. Like it'd be dark as fuck. And then people would start leaving. It's because we felt a kind of commitment, but we also, you know, had too much fucking stuff to do yeah. as a kind of balance of those two things. But 
you know, setting appropriate boundaries means that you're allowing other people to fill the space. I used to think that only like white women in the not-for-profit space could be like talking about self-care in the way that they did. Oh, like I'm just going to take a day off and like focus on me. Actually, I'm kind of learning that it's really nice to be a white woman. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going to go with that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it. So nice. <laughs> Well, <laughs> can I just have a wellness day, spa day, like, you know, taking a step back and recognizing the fact that we can't do everything. And like, as a woman of color, we're doing everything for everyone. We've been doing this podcast for a year and for a year, we've had guests telling me that I'm doing too much. I'm listening now. Just took a year. No, I'm glad. It's because I had to decide that I just didn't want to and couldn't hold it all. And that I actually wasn't like, yes, there are lots of things I can do, but I'm doing too much and it's reinforcing other people around me to not pull their fair share. Why would I walk if someone's going to carry me? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Mm. But now I'm just putting everybody down. So everybody has to walk now. Yeah, fair enough. And if you trip and fall and smash your face, I will pick you up and carry you along. But Mm. then I'm going to put you back down again when you're fine. Which did happen, a real world example, when I did the tough mutter to save a life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is a good example. There you go. You picked up, you saved somebody from Save the Children. (laughs) <laughs> i saved that adult yeah it was in, it was in the title i should uh well she was young enough to okay. be she could have been my child so i did save <laughs> save the children sing, singular version of that your um, um your savior complex was true <laughs> to form exactly yeah Ugh, first aid <laughs> We haven't really covered this mm. and I know we've been banging on for a while now, but. Well, that's what a podcast is, is to bang on for a while, to be fair. Good job. Um, <laughs> is there ever a situation where, you know, you're so deeply embedded in the hero complex that you manipulate a situation to keep it so that they need you? I think that's the savior complex. Oh, okay. Like, like, so I'm, so I'm, we've talked a bit about maybe like feeling this way in the sector, kind of shifting you to be yeah. that way or going in with it. But if you're so deeply embedded do you want that situation to exist and therefore you create it? Yeah. Perpetuating harm. Yeah. It's a little bit like, um, so it's like Munchausen syndrome, which is basically like you make yourself sick because you like attention or there's Munchausen's by proxy where you hurt somebody else because you like the attention that comes with that. That sounds intense. Yeah. That sounds very dark, but it's a little bit different because it's not like you fixing it. So I do think like there is like a darker side to savior, mm. the savior complex where you're kind of, making things bad so that you're reinforcing what is happening so that you can continue to have that role. And so again, if you were super embedded in the hero complex, you might like do risky things to make it seem like you're the hero. I'm just trying to think about if that plays out in our sector or not. Didn't you work in mine action? Oh yeah. (laughs) Mm, yeah, right. <laughs> okay. I mean, I've seen a picture of you standing next to unexploded ordinances. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, there we go. Um, that feels risky. That's a really good example. Okay. I was no hero, but certainly that picture was risky. Mm. That's a really good example. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, I dare not. Oh, yeah. I mean, the mine action sector is very much like I have these certain technical skills. Therefore, you need me. Yeah, you people are the worst because it's the problem is is because it is a sexy thing, right? 
maintaining healthy boundaries, like what it is that you alone can do, right? Like we've had this conversation before around delegation. What is the thing that I need to do? Or what is the thing? What is my area of expertise or focus? And, and it doesn't have to be everything. I can bring people in to collectively problem solve. And if we can't do it, then maybe we move on. Yes. And I think that's just something that's a lesson that I don't think the sector is like quite worked out yet. We feel we have to do everything because nobody else can do anything. It's a combination of like superhero and saviorism. Yeah. Because we think we take on so much as individuals and as organizations, everything gets stretched to the limit. There's never enough time to do anything meaningfully or thoughtfully. And then we feel that we have to do it because other people can't do it well enough and we need to save people from themselves as opposed to like building resilient communities through integrated programming or whatever so that we stop reinforcing these uh dynamics yeah i completely agree but we just don't want to yeah break the chains break the chain all right the chain (laughs) (laughs) all right well that's enough now yeah, this has been a really interesting episode. I think like from Hero Complex through if to you like, don't say so yourself. I'm going to say <laughs> enjoy this episode, you know, from Hero Complex to all the different pieces that make us as individual humanitarians and where we want to be and where we want to go with it. I think it's interesting. I'm not a humanitarian. Um, what are you? Superhuman. Extraordinary. <laughs> I'm a generalist. <laughs> I do what you, what you want. I'll do it. <laughs> Okay, I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this has been the Journey to Transformation. Mm, Arrivederci. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.